Welcome to the One Signal Podcast, where we aim to educate listeners on product industry and best practices to build world-class customer engagement strategies. This is your host, Josh Wetzel. We've got a great guest today for you, Connor Vickery, email deliverability specialist who leads up this practice at OneSignal. Just a little background on Connor before we bring him in. Connor is joining us to discuss why email deliverability is so important, explain the evolution of how inboxes have evolved at their systems to combat spam, and thus what you can do to ensure you have high deliverability and, if, and efficacy on your email programs. So we appreciate Connor joining. Welcome to the podcast, Connor. Hey, thanks for having me. Connor, you've been at the One Signal for a few months. You've got more than seven years in email deliverability roles and have become an expert in this form of, I actually didn't even know that this was like a thing until uh, I started learning about the back ends of email the past couple of years. How'd you find yourself in this as a career focus? Yeah, it's a good question. I didn't really know it existed until I started doing some form of deliverability in an old support role of mine. I was working at a smaller email service provider and doing phone support there and tech support. And we started getting some more of those email deliverability questions. That's my first introduction into it. And I think, I don't think it does it anymore, but when you type in deliverability somewhere, usually it gets that red squiggly underlines. I guess it's not really a real word to a lot of people, um, but I think that's changed. I haven't noticed that when I type it in as much anymore. But I, uh, I started at a smaller ESP and was working support there. And then we had a dedicated deliverability analyst at the time. And she was really good at understanding compliance and best practice and stuff. And I thought those conversations really interesting because it's like just this almost um, internet compliance. You feel like almost like an internet cop in that uh, that situation, that seat there. So um, she taught me stuff on the side and I just took over the role there. And I've just learned everything I could from her at that time. And then I've been working at it ever since. Can you explain what email deliverability is? Yeah, that's a good question. Deliverability, just the breakdown of the word is the ability to deliver emails, but that encompasses a lot. So you're really looking at after you hit the send button and that email gets sent, the behavior of that email, and then how that influences future emails that you might be sending. So you're evaluating the relationship between the sender, the inbox provider, and the recipient. The inbox provider is conducting a lot of the email categorization for their recipients. And so there's a lot of emphasis on recipient behavior when it comes to deliverability and what they want from the email. So an inbox provider like Gmail, their customer base is typically our recipients as senders. And so ultimately, it's what can we do to please Gmail's customers so that Gmail will treat our emails better and categorize them better. So really just looking at that relationship, is the email feeling relevant to the recipient? Does it feel timely? Does it feel like like spam? So when you're sending an email, you can ask yourself that question on the receiving side. Is this gonna, is this email gonna hit right? And is the person gonna engage with it correctly? And then based on that engagement is how it's going to affect your future emails being delivered. Okay. And then in conversations, what I've learned and hearing you and reading about this from others, it feels like there's two core components and the back end, the service providers, particularly the mailboxes are using, which is IP address. Mm -hmm. which is your internet protocol address, just to layman's terms, and then the domain address itself, which is, uh, my understanding is a little bit newer form that they're using to look at kind of quality of sender as well. Yeah. Uh, What should email practitioners be concerned about and know? And is there anything more about that you want to riff on? Yeah, I would. So the domain is something a little bit newer that they started looking at. They've always looked at IP, but when they're looking at the reputation of a sender, they're looking at the combination of the domain and the IP. 
So when you're sending emails, don't think separately about my IP's reputation and my domain's reputation. There's not really a separate reputation going on there. It's the reputation as those two work together. So when you're sending an email, what is the reputation of that IP address and domain combination? So for instance, just to break it down for some of our listeners, domains, you'll typically only have one or two of those. As an email sender, you usually don't get rid of those unless you're completely changing your company name or brand. And that's when on your email address, the at, after the at sign, the yep. insertcompanyname.com, that's your domain. And then the IP addresses, you can have lots of those over the course of your email career or your email sending. So I could have one domain and then I can have that running through 10 different IP addresses, split that up. So it's uh, you're looking at the reputation of that domain correlated with each IP. I think with the domain, I guess a question, a follow-up question I have on domain specifically is if you have a you've got a company domain, let's just say it's, and you've been using that for 10 years and been sending a lot of email and you've got a few million customers who have bought from you buying tchotchkes. And then you realize one day, like, that's too common of a name. Maybe I should rename this to Yahoo. That's a bad example (laughs) because Yahoo is its own business. I come up with a new name and it's it's more succinct. It's more memorable. So I change my domain. (laughs) That will impact your ability to send to those users if you're sending from the new name domain for a period of time. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So every domain that you create starts at like reputation zero or like arguably with a, a bad reputation. It really has like a neutral, no reputation at all. You do have to warm up to your ability to send mail. If you already have a warm IP and domain combination, then you can send to the normal volumes you've been sending to. But if you're starting to start, if you're opening up a new IP address or a new domain, each situation, you'll have to warm up your email sending to the providers which means you have a plan of a certain amount of days in a row to hit your volume. Let's say your volume is 3,000. You'd start on day one by sending 300. And then the next day you increase that a bit to something like 360. And the next day you increase that a little bit until you hit that number on a daily basis, that 3,000 volume. And then any extra emails you have, you can send those through maybe your previous email infrastructure. So it's, it's a little tough to switch domains. You do have to go through some type of domain warm-up process to warm up the new domain to the volume that you were already sending. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think that's one of the sort of onboarding practices for new senders that we take them through as well is, is that warm up yeah. period. It's great. What are like some of the common questions you get from email practitioners? I know we wrote some of these in the pre-show. One was, what are spam traps? What is a spam trap? I have no clue. So actually, I wish I got asked that question more. It's just one that I end up explaining to people a lot. Spam traps are, are interesting. They're a great metric to look at. It sucks when you hit them. And it's if you are hitting spam traps, it's not good. But when you do see them, it gives you a very good indicator of what's going on. Spam traps are email addresses. And there's two different versions. So there's one that's pristine. And then there's one that's recycled. Recycled spam traps are email addresses that used to be used by an actual person. And then that person's abandoned that email address or whatever it is. And that email address gets repurposed to be a spam trap. Now, if you send that repurposed spam trap, your your name, your domain, your reputation gets written on a list that you sent that spam trap. And then inbox providers who monitor that spam trap are aware that you are not cleaning your lists, basically. So if you're sending to recycled or repurposed spam trap addresses, that means that you're holding on to a lot of old unengaged contacts probably, or your contact capturing practices are somehow capturing email addresses that no one's using. The pristine spam traps are an even bigger no, because those shouldn't end up on your list at all. Pristine spam traps are typically email addresses that were never owned by a legitimate person. They were spun up to catch people sending to them. 
And pristine spam traps are usually only going to be found if you're purchasing like bad lists online. Those will have a lot of pristine spam traps in them and the repurposed ones. Also, they'll hide pristine spam trap email addresses on places on websites where you wouldn't really see with the human eye, but a bot scraper might scrape that data and put it into a list that someone might purchase. So when you're sending emails, if you see that you, you can, spam traps are a great metric to look at and try to remove. If you have them in there, uh, your contact capturing practices are probably, they probably need to be reevaluated. And then if you're, you probably need to get rid of some old addresses that you're hanging on to. Yeah, makes sense. And then another one was, should I worry about all these spam laws? Yes and no. Yes, you should, because they're the law and you should always obey the law. But the reason I say don't worry about them as much is I think you should worry more about your own deliverability best practices. And if you are following the best practices, you will be following the laws as well. I think the the best practices that are provided across a lot of, like that we provide in our, uh, around deliverability, in a lot of ways will make you more strict around your own sending than the spam laws. On the spam laws, one of the most strict ones is GDPR, which is Europeans, the, Europe's spam law. And there's tons of them. So you have Canada, United States, California has its own spam laws as well. Yep. But with GDPR, they're arguably the most strict spam laws. And so if you can make yourself compliant to those, you can be like, I'm good across the board. You don't necessarily need to go and look at every spam law and make sure that you're obeying those because a lot of them are, are redundant. And I'd say GDPR has the most redundancy and extra that you can follow. But beyond that, it's just if you're following best practices from for deliverability, you're, you're capturing contacts via opt-in methods, and it's very clear that they're giving consent to you. And when people are unsubscribing or honoring those unsubscribes, if you're following best practices, you should be relatively safe from spam laws. Yeah. Okay. It's great. And then why does my email land in promotions folder? So I always encourage people to look at their own promotions folder and just see what's ending up there. Think about how you interact with those emails on a daily basis. Think about what the content is in those emails. And then that will start to indicate why they're in the promotions folder. Promotions folder is literally for promotions, although Gmail sees it as part of the primary inbox. Um, even though it's its own folder, uh, it's still part of that primary inbox. So when you land in promotions, a lot of people will feel like that's landing in spam or junk or something like that, but it's really not because Gmail still drives people's eyes to the promotions folder. I look at my promotions folder all the time. It's just for different reasons. I'll usually go to look to see if I can get a discount on a new pair of glasses or something like that, but I'm not going there to see my day-to-day -day emails. When you're sending emails, think about how it's going to come across to the recipient and what folder you'd like that to land in. If you want that to land in the primary main inbox, then make that email personable. What, what lands in your primary uh, folder, your primary main inbox, is usually stuff that needs immediate communication back and forth. So if you can drive more replies and more like actual interaction and feedback from your recipients, I think you're more likely to end, end up in that, that main folder than the promotions folder. If your content is geared towards a lot of like discounts and has a lot more links to certain things and feels more marketing, that can cause it to land in the promotions, which again is fine. It's just think about how the content is going to be interacted with by the recipient and that will help you understand what folder you're likely to end up in. Okay. And there's promotions, there's social, and then there's primary if we're just talking about Gmail as an example. Is social exclusive to certain domains and services that they've deemed to be social? Or is there a way, I mean, it's a random question, but if, if you wanted your messages to land in social for whatever reason, is there a trick to doing that? Uh, I don't think there's really a trick to doing that. I think social is related to more like actual like social 
interactive related emails. If you got a message on Facebook, I believe you'd get an email notification there. If you got an email notification for that, I believe that would come into your, your socials tab. I don't think there's a way to get your emails to land in a specific folder other than driving a certain interaction from your recipients. So if you're driving a lot of replies and stuff and conversations, like one-to-one -one emails, if you're sending someone a personal email, that's very expected to be in that, that main first folder. But if your email contains a lot of like advertisements and, and discounts and stuff, I expect that to land in the promotions folder. There are certain ways as a recipient in Gmail that you can have emails come into certain categories. Like you can add a word and then a plus sign to your email address when you're signing up on someone else's website. If I was going to sign up for your form, I can add promotions plus my email address. And then when that comes to me, I can categorize that differently in Gmail. But there's not a whole lot of senders for us to end up in those specific folders. They're very good about understanding what type of emails you're sending and categorizing those themselves. Yep. Okay. That's cool. I'm always curious about that. And it's, it's interesting too, because in my business email, you have primary and updates. Yeah. And so they categorize them differently. And then my personal email, and I'm just talking about what Gmail does because we use G Suite for email. I, I just configured mine and I have the updates, social promotions, and the primary. And there's some other ones you could add too. So it seems like they're adding more categories all the time, which I think helps Pete, the recipient. And then interesting. So you can use, even with your at one signal address, you can configure that with promotions and social as well. With my G Suite OneSignal inbox, yes, yeah, I was able to add uh, all those folders. And there's some settings where you can, there's a few more, I forget what they were, but there's more than I remember last time I looked there. Yeah, it's cool. What else? Anything else that you'd want to cover on deliverability that you go through or you hear? I would just encourage people not to hold on to old unengaged contacts. Again, jumping back to the spam trap thing, I think it's super a super common slip up I see people make. Contact capturing, I feel like everyone has a good understanding of what are best practices to get consent from someone. But I think a lot of people don't understand when to let go of a recipient. And I think if you have a recipient and you're sending them emails once a week, if they've gone two or three months without opening those emails, it might be worth considering removing them from your sending list or reaching out to them in a different way. Maybe a one-to-one -one email, try to get them to re-engage uh, and then pull them back into the fold of your uh, regular emails. But yeah, that's one, that's one big slip up I see a lot. So you actually got in something that I want to dig in a bit. Sure. Would you recommend best practice is three months, six months, 12 months? What will be the right time frame that you'd want to cleanse? Yeah, maybe time frame is not the best option. Maybe the amount of emails we've sent. This is also up to the individual as well. At what point would you be concerned if someone signed up for something on your site and you started sending them emails and they're not responding? At what point do you change your strategy and try to get them to engage? I think that part comes before removing the contact. Personally, if I, it depends on the business, but if I had, they're trying to sign, buy a product for me and they signed up for more information and I've sent them three emails in a row and I haven't gotten any response, at that point, I would change my strategy. And if I go three more emails in a row, I'd probably just remove them from my sending lists. So that six email mark isn't bad. And that's if you're doing one email a week, that's six weeks in, that's a pretty good amount of time, quite a few emails in their inbox for them not to engage with. And again, by two or three emails in, if they're not engaging, you should probably try to maybe change your strategy to how you're reaching out to that person. Okay, that's good. So I think that the two big takeaways, figure out your timeline or threshold or volume of email would be, but don't hold on to unengaged contacts, make sure you're cleansing your, your list which I know as a former marketer, I guess it's still a marketer. It's hard, but you don't want to get rid of, of prospective customers. Uh, your CRM list you hold with uh, 
a lock. You're like, I this matters deeply to me. But it sounds like that's a really important characteristic because if you're consistently sending to either mails mails that become spam traps or just people that aren't interested anymore, you're just only hurting your own email deliverability. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing on that too is a lot of people will, when they're in that situation, try to rely on list cleaning tools. I would just encourage you to use to anybody to use that as a very last ditch effort using a list cleaning tool where you like upload your list and it removes all the bad addresses. Those don't really capture spam traps. What those do is they remove email addresses that bounce back as invalid. But a spam trap does not bounce. You won't know a spam trap is in your list until you start facing actual issues from it, or you have some type of tool monitoring that tells you if there's spam traps in there. If you are sending to a spam trap, that spam trap email address will not bounce back as invalid. It'll actually continue to accept the emails. It just won't interact with them. So those spam traps don't show engagement. So that's another reason to remove those unengaged contacts, because you might actually be removing spam traps without knowing it. Yep. Okay. Thank you, Connor, for joining the podcast. It was a pleasure speaking with you and I appreciate you doing it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. And for all you listeners out there, appreciate you listening to the podcast. If you've got the time and you enjoy it, please provide a positive review. You can access this and subscribe at all the different podcast directories. And again, if you're looking for a great customer engagement software used by more than 1 million companies across the globe, you can go to onesignal.com and try it today for free. In the meantime, have a great day and let's go conquer and improve our email deliverability across the board. Take care. Bye-bye.